Well, grace to you all in peace from God our Father and our Lord and Savior Jesus and in the power of our Holy Spirit. Amen. Yesterday being the 20th anniversary of 9-11, I was certainly reminded of stories. I remember 20 years ago, the Sunday after 9-11, and how many people came into the worship space looking for solace, seeking God, seeking answers, praying for those that had been lost or injured. These past 16 or 18 months, we have been telling pandemic stories. Stories that our grandchildren will be told. There are countless stories that we share. But some of the stories that we share have the endings that we want. I think you know those endings. And they lived happily ever after. Or, well done, good and faithful servant. Or, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Or, or maybe this ending, and one day there will be an incredible, victorious military overthrow of all of those who oppress us. Well, that might not be your favorite ending, but it was the favorite ending of the Jewish world a long time ago. They long for a time in which they would be restored and united. You see, empire after empire controlled the Jewish land, their cities, their forced occupation. And there were failed rebellions. And this people longed for peace. They longed to be at home. They longed for a place of worship. A longing for God's kingdom to come. But the center of this story's ending had a Messiah. Now, all the stories about this Messiah were not the same. Some Messiahs were angelic, some were human, some were born of God. Sometimes there was one Messiah and sometimes there were multiple Messiahs in those stories. But one often repeated theme among these stories was that this Messiah would overthrow whatever empire was in power and deliver the Israelites from oppression. You see, this Messiah came as a military champion who came with power and force. This Messiah came to lift up the downtrodden. You can see why they longed for this. It was hopeful. This was a people who had been lost. They wanted God's promise. They wanted a way out of their mess. Don't we all want a way out of our mess? So when Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, you are the Messiah. You have to understand that Peter heard those stories of Messiah as he grew up in a Jewish home in the Jewish world. And he might have had this particular image and vision of what this Messiah was to be. And so when Jesus continues the conversation and predicts his own personal overthrow, betrayal, suffering, and death, maybe we can understand why Peter rebukes him. We don't hear Peter's rebuke, but maybe it was something like, "Uh, no, no, Jesus, that's not how the story goes. You've got it wrong. 
There's only suffering for our enemies. And you're supposed to overthrow the Roman occupation. You single-handedly are supposed to bring about the reign of God through the triumph of Israel. You're supposed to be a king who reigns. We need a triumphant Messiah. You see, Jesus' story and Peter's story didn't add up. And if Jesus is the Messiah, which Peter obviously believes, then why is Jesus predicting this suffering and death? You see, on one hand, Peter professes an enormous amount of faith in Jesus. And on the other hand, Peter's faith is still very much on his own terms. It's about Peter's vision of reality. Peter's own understanding of God's plan. Sometimes we must learn that faith is really relinquishing our own terms our own realities, our own idea of God's plans. Boy, if that hasn't been a lesson these last 18 months, to realize we weren't in control. And so when Jesus asked those disciples, who do you say that I am? He's also asking us, Who do you say Jesus is? You see, we who believe Jesus to be really affects how we live our discipleship. They are connected. There is a reason that Mark narrates this scene about Jesus' identity and then quickly reminds those disciples to take up their cross and follow Jesus. It matters what kind of Messiah we have our faith in. Because if we think Jesus is Messiah who will overthrow our enemies and topple the empires of this world with a force of military commanding, we might entice to be in a violent and self-serving discipleship. But if we think Jesus is a Messiah who is distant and untouchable, we might become disciples who build walls to distance ourselves from all the other and only secure our own tribe. If we think Jesus is the Messiah who won't touch death and the hardships of this life, we might be disciples who are tempted into every form of escapism, resisting dying to self and death itself at all possible costs. But if we believe Jesus for who He is, a Messiah who suffered, was rejected, killed, and rose again, what will our discipleship look like? Because if our lives are to be molded after His life, if we're really united through Him, through our baptism, it affects how we live. You see, this Christian life, this cross-shaped life, is about self-denial and sacrifice. Following the way of Jesus is the path toward a life that matters when we focus on others. So are we a people who resemble a crucified and suffering Messiah? Are we afraid of our own wounds? Have we learned to be the beautiful yet costly marks of resurrection? Do we look like Jesus and act like Jesus? 
It might be easy to compare our sacrifices to the sacrifices of others and begin to doubt whether we're on the right path. So maybe we need to pay a little attention to how Jesus responds to Peter's, no, no, that's not how the story goes, you're getting it wrong. I want you to notice that Jesus does not remove Peter as an apostle. He doesn't declare Peter beyond saving. And he doesn't lose interest in him. Jesus simply says, get behind me. And in that moment, I believe Jesus is teaching Peter the essence of living as his follower. That it may not be measured by the depth of sacrifice, but by the intent to get behind Jesus and follow. To follow his word, to follow his wisdom, to follow his example, to follow his willingness to give himself in a way that is beneficial to his neighbor. You know, Peter eventually comes to understand this. And I believe when we get behind Jesus, it is at that moment that we grow in our ability to live a life of loving service and sacrifice. By living a life of sacrifice and service, we begin to experience the richness of life that Jesus wants us to know. So this month here at Zion, we're emphasizing God's work, our hands, sacrificial living and unending service. And each week in September, there will be an emphasis on Zion's mission partners and how you can be involved in their ministries. And on the last Sunday, September 26th, there will be specific service opportunities available to live out God's work, our hands. And in just a moment, we'll hear more about one of our mission partners, Hope Clinic, over in Ipsy. You see, we are following Jesus' willingness to give of himself in a way that is beneficial to his neighbor. Love your neighbor as yourself, Jesus says. Because if we love God, then we will certainly love our neighbor. But we started about talking about endings. And I want to remind you that our endings find meaning in Easter morning. And this Sunday is a mini Easter. We gather on the first day of the week. to remember the resurrection of Jesus. Where the cross has lost its sting and become a sign to us that God has triumphed over the greatest enemies of sin and death. You see, the cross becomes a promise of the best kind of ending. An ending where God has come near and saved us and loved us and delivered us and proclaimed to every particle of creation. As Julian of Norwich phrased it, all shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of things shall be well. Thanks be to God. Amen.